evening. How are you? Doing good? Doing good? Amen. Um, I love bragging on our church just a little bit. I just have to take a minute just to brag. Because as we were worshiping, I was noticing all the different types of people up there. Do y'all ever watch that? Do y'all ever just gloat in that just a little bit? You know, uh, a lot of church builders and people that have these large super campuses, they say, you know, your praise team is also, you can't look all crazy and dysfunctional and it can't look, it's got to have the same unity. And what are we trying to say? And who are we trying to be? And blah, blah. And I love the fact that we just are who we are. Amen. There's, there's plaid shirts up there with cowboy pants and that there's rock star Barbie in her leopard jeans and her spikes on her shoulders and that we have all ages and, and, and then we have Elvis on the keys. That's the best part. Every once in a while I want him to go, oh, oh. <laughs> anyways, uh, I just, I, I know that's a picture of what heaven's going to be like. And so when we worship, I'm, I just smile. I just, I'm smile and I'm, it's so, it's such an honor to um, pastor a church that looks a little bit like heaven. Don't you? Don't you agree? Well, y'all don't pastor with me, but you know, y'all are all part of the church. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. You can stop whenever you feel like it, or you can stay there all night if you want to. Um, whatever you choose, just, you know, you might put me to sleep though. It sounds, it sounds a little bit like worship, like we could go on, but y'all don't want to hear me sing. So we just need to put an end to that. Amen. Father, we just thank you that your presence is here and that you're going to reveal some hidden treasures out of your word tonight, Father, that our hearts would be open and ready to receive and that you would just change us, make us look more like you as we leave tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the cruise was good to us, and it's amazing how... um, it's amazing how much you, lack of sleep will you will be reminded once you get caught up on the sleep. Like you didn't know you were walking around in a comatose state, that you were like a zombie. And then you get sleep and all of a sudden clarity comes back into your life and you realize that you can make really good decisions if you've had a full eight hours of sleep that night, you know? Yeah, it was really, really awesome. And I was not worried for a bit that Carnival would break down because I figured that a P-Row with, like, one of those uh, paddles would be just as good of a vacation. I'd get a workout all at the same time, work on my tan. I was good for either one. I was on, I was on board for either one. So we had a very good time, and I appreciate all of your prayers. Uh, let's crack the word. Let's go ahead and do this. You know, I was studying... Uh, names um, in the Bible this week and the symbolism of when God changes a name. Uh, You know, he does it a couple times through scripture, and I wanted to know what the symbolism is in it and what makes him do that. What what significance is there in that person's life that God would go rename a person in the Bible? Uh, So if you want to start, we'll start in Genesis, Genesis 15, 4 through 6. Now listen here. You are keeping up with me tonight, Jason. I'm so proud of you. I didn't think about giving you scriptures till literally five seconds ago. So y'all can't throw darts and evil eyes at him if he doesn't keep up with me tonight, okay? It's all my fault. So Genesis 15, 4 through 6, it says, This is my covenant with you. He's talking to Abraham. God is. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name 
wait a second, I'm on the wrong one. I, see, you're on top of it and I'm not. See here, that's what happens. Let me just read yours. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir because Abraham is questioning God at this point because he has no child yet. For you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteousness because of his faith. I'm going to break some the, those scriptures down to you. First and foremost, you'll notice that Abraham has been told and retold about his promise and what God has promised him. He's been told and retold and reminded, and I know that that's what God does in our life. But he even... Abraham even questions him as to, I don't even have an heir. Is there going to, my servants are going to be the heirs to everything I have. And if you'll notice here, the Lord says, no, 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 no. Your servant will not be your heir. You will have a son. So he's already telling him. So it's not like Abraham fell into a trap, which you'll see later on. He, he's not falling into a trap because God didn't already tell him that he would be tempted to take the servant and get her pregnant. He's, he's way ahead of Abraham in this. And he says, you're not going to have your servant bear your heir. You're going to have your own son. And then he goes even further. He says, I'm going to make you a multitude and he re-promises everything, and he takes him outside, and he keeps building hope in Abraham. Isn't that the way God is? He will promise us something, and just we wait a couple years, we keep living our lives, and we look up one day, and we go, nope, he hadn't done it. And all of a sudden, God, right at that moment, God will say, no, I'm going to do it. You just got to hold on. Everything has to align. And the third part of that uh, scripture is, those scriptures is, that he accounted it to him as righteousness. This is, this is kind of cool. I love history, so take it for what it's worth. I watch the History Channel more than anything else on my TV. I just love it. The, the righteousness, the word righteousness, and the word believe, this is the first time it's mentioned in the whole Bible. And there's the rule about the first, time, first mention of what God does in the Bible, and that is, that that is, the, um, that is the rule. So the, the first mention becomes the rule in the word of God. Does that make sense? So right here, God even begins to show him what salvation will look like. Even before Jesus is even mentioned, he says, and I'm going to account it to you because here's the deal. We cannot attain perfect righteousness. We're humans. We're humans. So what does God do? He said, well, you don't have a savior yet. I haven't sent my son yet, but I'm going to account to you righteousness. I'm going to credit it to you because you will never be perfectly righteous because you believe in me. It's the first mention of salvation. See, this has been God's plan way back when. When he wrote out from beginning to the end, he had everyone's name written down and what their reason for being on this earth was and what their gift would be to the body of Christ and to the world. He looked at you, Miss Linda, and he said, 
I know the birth date. I know every hair on her head. I know what she's going to accomplish. I know when she's going to fail and when I'm going to pick her back up. I know when I'm going to account to her righteousness because of her belief. I know when I'm going to give her grace. And when that grace is not sufficient, I'm going to give her even more grace. Because right here during this season, she's going to need more grace. But over here, not so much. She's going to need some mercy. And God looks at the whole span of our life. Even back then, he said, you don't even get what I'm saying to you right now, Abraham. But because you'll never be perfect, I'm going to give you some credit loan righteousness just because you believe in me. Isn't that good? It's good to me to know that he's got my whole book written. He's got my whole book written. I'm just following in steps. I'm just following every page of what he has for me. Chapter 16, so we were in 15, and now we're going to chapter 16, and I'm not going to read to you all of 16 because chapter 16 is messy. Everybody say messy. There's a lot of messy parts in the Bible that I don't get, uh, and, and, and one of them is Sarah telling Abraham, I haven't had a baby, so go sleep with the servant girl and get her pregnant. That's messy and jacked up, and my husband just talked about it, like, what was it, two Sundays ago? Wasn't it, was it two Sundays ago or one Sunday ago? I don't know, but he said, uh, he said, if, this is, <laughs> I really wanted to tweet this, but I couldn't pick up my phone anymore in service because then he would think I was not paying attention in service. But he said, if your wife, men, if your wife say to go sleep with the servant girl, it's a trick. Don't fall for it. <laughs> Do you remember that? Okay, it's really funny to me. Um, and, <laughs> and so chapter 16 is just all messed up. First of all, there's years in between some of these chapters. Years. You think about it, that there's one chapter, and then there 40 years goes by. And then he's, you know, then there's 99 and all that. So we don't know the real timeline between when God said, go outside and look at the stars. And, and, and I promise you, your heir will not come through a servant. It will be your child with your wife. So years go by. Sarah, what's she do? She gets antsy because she realizes she's getting too old and she's too old. She's past her prime. Her, her clock was ticking and it ticked out. It just stopped. And, uh, <laughs> and so she says, take the servant girl. Well, this is all messed up. And Abraham should have known because the Lord spoke to Abraham and he should have known better. But because he was guilty of the same thing that we all get guilty of is trying to make our plans and try to reroute because we don't feel like God is totally capable of doing what we do. So I'm going to intervene for God because that's how much I think of myself. And I'm going to fix what he's messed up and forgotten. And so then, of course, you know what Brandon was talking about, which was fresh revelation about how one mistake, one slip of judgment because of a lack of faith brought us Ishmael, who was fathered uh, the Islam religion. And, and then we have all this hatred and all these wars and all this terrorism. And I, I, I know that some of you have heard it, but I'm not going to lie to you. I, I still think about that. And I was still, I'm studying in depth Abraham and Sarah and all of this right now. And I'm thinking, what if what if none of that had happened? You know, what if Abraham would have just been rock solid? But he wasn't because we're not. 
because we're not perfectly righteous and we're never going to be perfectly righteous. So instead of saying what if in our own life, we just need to go, but it did, and let's just move on. Uh Uh-huh. Amen? Okay. So chapter 16 is messed up. We moved, there is a baby born at the end of 16. And in Genesis 17, 1 through 5 is where I'm going to pick up. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. I just want you to notice here that the first thing he says to him is, I'm God Almighty. I haven't appeared to you in 30 years, but I'm still God Almighty. And I still know what's going on right now, even though Ishmael is 13. I still know what's going on. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Okay, here he is again going, I'm still here. I'm still going to do it my way, not your way. At this, Abraham fell down on, his, on the ground. Uh, wait, fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among you. I want you to notice the timeline, okay? So we're, we, we have huge gaps in between the chapters of years, but I want you to watch. It goes 15, his promise. To Abraham. 16, Abraham jacks everything up and sins. Everybody on board was a sinner, except probably this, the servant girl probably was the only one that was only doing what she was supposed to be doing, didn't have another choice, okay? If you think about it, that's how it was back in the day, okay? Back in the ancient days, they just did what they were told to do, okay? So Sarah and Abraham sin. They fall short, The next thing you know is God restates his promise to him. So what I'm trying to get across is, was Abraham, did he have to live his life perfect for God to, to fulfill the promise in his life? No. In fact... He, he, he totally rerouted. God had to totally get him back. It probably took 30 years to get God back on track with Abraham. But he's still going to fulfill it the way he wants to fulfill it. Timeline, there is a fall. There is a promise, a fall, and a restored faith. It's when you are broken and feel a faith drought that God steps in and reminds us of who we are and what he has called us to do. That's the first time in Scripture. First time in scripture we see God change a name is when Abraham falls. And he's gone, now he has a 13-year-old boy that's not the heir. And he says, in your brokenness, I'm going to change your name. And not only am I going to restore you and restore your spirit because it's broken right now, but I'm going to not only give you many descendants, but I will give you descendants of nations. So he changes his name, Abraham, which is high father or father of many. So he first promised him, your descendants are going to be like the stars, right? And now, now that he's fallen and broken, now God's going to say, I'm I'm not only going to make you a father of many, I'm going to make you a father of nations and of kings. They'll be countless, like the sand. 
God wants to change us when we're broken. The best, the best example of this is in uh, 2 Corinthians. Y'all know, I'm, y'all, y'all could probably repeat it, but I'm going I'm to look it up just anyways. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. Paul says, I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle. Wait a second. Uh, 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 uh. Nope. I did it again. Did I do it again? I did it again. I did it again. There it is. Okay. Oh, no, you have it. Why is it not? The devil is a liar. I'm just saying. He does this to me every time. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of God can work through me. The Lord waits till we're weak. He waits till we're broken. You know why? Because it's when we're broken that we realize we need him more now than ever. When, when people come to me and say, you're only 30, I'm going to be 32 in a couple weeks. You're only 32, and you, you're supposed to pastor two churches, and in August, by August, you're gonna, this is all going to go down, and you have a couple kids, and um, it just seems like too much for you. And they wait on my response. And instead of being a raw, raw, hiss, boom, ba person, they're like, you can do it, Pastor Liz. Yeah, I know you can I don't need, I have no area for negativity in my life about this. Because, yes, I'm scared out of my butonkis. But guess what? Because it's impossible, that makes it possible. Because I am totally insufficient. Because I am totally not perfect. Because I know I, I don't got this. That's when I know God is going to come through for me. Let me tell you how good God is. His grace has so overwhelmed me that the things that were hard are now easy. The things that I nitpicked over just months ago, (laughs) months ago, literally. Now I look at it and go, what, what was I so upset about? I don't understand. And things that I tormented me are so easy now. I will tell you that when it's impossible, you're in the perfect position for God to take you and rename you. What the, what the world has named you, God takes and says, no, 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 no. I'm going to make that what everybody sees as your weakness, and I'm going to make it your gift to this earth. Amen? He changes us when we're broken. Not only will, he, will I restore your broken spirit, but I will complete my work in you, whether you see it or not. Whether you think it's right around the corner or it's years away, I'm still going to complete it the way I want to complete it. So just get on board or move yourself out of the way. <laughs> In Genesis 31.3, this is the promise of Jacob. This is Jacob gets his name changed to Israel. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and grandfather to your relatives there and I will be with you. 
That is the promise, okay? Now, I have read a lot of scripture, okay? I've read all kinds of weird things. I mean, let's just say, parting the seas, it's hard to swallow. A whale eating Jonah, hard to swallow. But I will tell you that nothing confuses me more than the life of Jacob. It is just totally messed up. He, he's, he's cutting off animal fur and sticking it on his arm, and it, somehow the father that's blind thinks that's his son. Okay, come on, guys. That's out there. That's way out there. And, and as they're twins, Esau and Jacob are twins. And so, and so Jacob grabs Esau and pulls himself out and tries to hang on to him. And it's just weird stuff. So I'm not going to lie to you. As I read further into his life, I know God's got to rename him because he has done some really messed up things in his life, okay? So y'all need to read it just for interest's sake, just for interest. Read about Jacob. It'll show you God's redemptive power. I'll tell you that. His promise was, Jacob, go back to the land. Go back to the land you're running from because your Esau, your brother, wants to kill you and hate your guts and you stole his birthright. And so I want you to go back there, okay, to, to where your brother wants to murder you. Now, at this point, Jacob, I, this, in my mind, this is what he's thinking. He's thinking, time has gone by. Surely he doesn't hate me like he doesn't loathe me the way he used to. He might have an unpleasant taste in his mouth for me, but he doesn't surely want to kill me still, okay? And so the happy-go-lucky Jacob that he is, you know, decides I'm going to go back to this land because God said he told me to, and I'm going to send it um, a notice to Esau to let him know I'm coming, just to let him know that I'm coming in peace. That's what he said. Literally, you know the aliens, how they say, we come in peace? That's exactly what Jacob says to Esau. I'm coming in peace. And, and so he takes the first step. Why Jacob would have to send that message is because Esau had bad taste in his mouth for Jacob. That's what Jacob re- remembers. In Genesis 32, 6 and 8, it says, you know how hard I have worked for your father, but he has cheated, hold on, cheated me, changing my wages 10 times. No, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong chapter. I'll get it right at some point, you guys, I promise. It's just the devil. He likes to play this game with me when I get up here. It's true. 32, 6, and 8. Okay. After delivering the message, uh, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I can see them saying this. We met your brother Esau, and he has already met, uh, he's already on his way to meet you with 400 men to kill you, basically. I mean, like, can you, would you, I, so we met your messed up family from Shreveport, Louisiana? Yeah, that's a joke. You know what I mean? Like, I have some really great family in Shreveport, but when, uh, they, they, they are feisty is that the right word for it? They are feisty. And God has taken them from like the gutters of the drug infested world and like pulled them up, you know, into, into church and loving God and all this kind of stuff. But when, when I, when I bring my husband back, I'm like, okay, baby, let's, let's go re let's go over this again. Just don't look at them cross-eyed. Don't, don't look directly in their face. Keep your, don't wear that shirt for sure. Just go back to the closet. You know, like they said, we met your brother (laughs) and he already put 400 men ready to come kill you. So time has not healed all wounds, Jacob. (laughs) 
Time has not healed all wounds with Esau, okay? So Jacob is scared. It says, uh, Jacob was terrified at the news in verse 7. He divided his household along with the flocks and the herds and the camels into two groups. He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. That's a plan. <laughs> what, were you, what if you were a part of the group that was going to be killed? How would you feel about him at that point? Then Jacob prayed. No, I want to stop there. I don't want to go into the prayer. Yes, it's good that Jacob prayed, but he got It says he was terrified. He made a plan of action, and then he prayed about it. Now, what seems out of order there? That's like if somebody brings a chocolate cake to the table, and you pray, Oh, Lord, remove all the fat from this cake right now. As I eat it, Father, let it digest and go all the way through me, not, le- not stopping for a moment. Let it go straight through to the other side, Jesus. You should always pray about what God's plan is and then act out that plan. And if you don't know what that plan is, don't act yet. <laughs> Because there's 400 men, supposedly, that are waiting to kill you. So maybe you should hear from God first. You shouldn't plan and then pray. But Jacob gets a lot of credit for this because um, I, I've read all kinds of commentaries, and they were like, and this is why God changed his name, and this is why the, he blessed him as the prayer. Y'all go back and read the prayer. That's great. But never once does he say, you tell me what to do, God. He just says, God, protect me. You said that, that I was going to go back to the land, and it was all going to be peaceful and good and, and happy and wonderful. He never once asked God, stops and asks God, what, what do you really want me to do here? Have you ever made a plan and then prayed about what prayed that God would bless it? Have you ever done something and then asked for forgiveness later about it and knew that it was wrong? I know y'all are some of y'all are married, and um, you know there's a problem with having little girls when you have when you birth a little girl. Something happens to the money in your, in your purse. And every time you see something adorable, money just flies out of your purse. And your husband can never really control that because he's not around all the time. And so knowing that your husband probably doesn't want you to spend the money on the little girl, the $20 hair bow, okay, um, crosses your mind. But then what happens is you end up paying for it because then you go home and say, oops, I'm sorry. I didn't know you didn't want me to spend $20 on a hair bow. Well, I'll take it back. And you wait for a response like, are right, he going to make me take it back? Is he going to None of y'all have ever done that before. <laughs> Maybe it's been years because Kennedy was little. Wink, wink. Anyways, so uh, I know that Kara and I are in the same boat. I, yes, I called you out on that, okay? And I even do it to Quinn. Sometimes, you know, it, so, some people say that that's lying, Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll pray about it later tonight. Uh, We'll have an altar call for that. (laughs) But that's a lot of what he was doing. He was planning and then praying. He was doing and then asking for forgiveness later. Let's read aloud Genesis 32, 22. Okay, this is where it gets kind of crazy. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two servant wives 
two, yes, two servants' wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrecked it out of its socket. Let's stop there. I'm going to go on, but let's stop there. <clears throat> People say J- J- uh, Jacob wrestled with God. Because first of all, later on in the scripture, it says that Jacob says that he saw God face to face. And when he asks him who he is, he said, why do you need to know my name? Like, you don't know who I am by now, really? And then the second reason we think this, that this was God, is because he touched him and it sent his hip out of socket. Touched him. So we know this man had the power to knock him silly with just a look. We know this man had might. We know he had, there is something about him that screams, I am bigger, badder, and way more athletic than you. So, but for some reason, there was a wrestling match going on. Why? Does anybody ever question, why? Why, why if you were, if you could wreck him with a touch and cause him to be limp for years, why is it that you would wrestle him all night? And it even says that, it says the man, when he realized that Jacob was winning the wrestling match all night. Okay, so that means that there was an appearance that they were actually well matched. But that's all an appearance. See, God, we, we don't understand, first of all, God's plans are not our plans. And and. The way he does things is not how we do things. And so he had his purpose in the wrestling. And there are several things that we can glean from in this. First one is that just because it appears that they were well matched doesn't mean that they were. He obviously had more might. And Jacob was the loser of the battle eventually because he got his hip thrown out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So we know that he's stronger, but it appeared that they were equal. Why? Because God wanted all of Jacob's proud self-reliance and flesh, fleshly scheming and would take it by force if necessary. He said, I'm going to wrestle him until it comes out, till he realizes that I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to let you know that I'm going to win in the end of all this. And, uh, and so he wrestles with him until he, be, he wins. I wonder what he won. I'll tell you what he won. We triumph when we realize that we are weak. We triumph when we realize our plans are not good, that his plans are better. We triumph when he is put first. He won. You're right. He won. He won because he also, all of a sudden, he's humbled. He realizes I don't have all this figured out. God didn't like his own self-reliance, and he wrestled him all night and said, oh, and by the way, you think you're all big and bad, but think, oh, you can't walk now? That's because I could have taken you out, but I didn't. 
I just want you to remember, I have this whole thing worked out, and your victories will be my victories, and your victories will come through me. I, I will be the victorious one, and you will win, and you will have trials, and you will wrestle all night, but you will win and be victorious because of me, and I won't allow people to take you out, but I, I still have that power and right because I'm God. It's confusing. It is. It's a little confusing. It took me reading and rereading and rereading to really understand what was going on here. Second part is because God was reviving Jacob's confidence in what God could do through him. If Jacob allowed God to use him even in a good fight or in trials, he would win. He restored confidence, and all at the same time, he humbled him. Have you ever laid before the, before the Lord and are humbled in his presence, but leave feeling so confident and mighty in battle? That's what was going on here. He said, I am humbled, and I don't have this but I feel so good and ready to fight, I'm ready. It's on, devil. Have y'all ever been there? Because if you haven't, I would suggest trying it sometime. It's the most unbelievable confidence you'll ever have in your life is knowing that all your confidence is in him. You know, Jacob means con man. His name means con man, sneaky, cheater. And God changes it. It says, uh, in uh, verse 27, or no, let's go to 26. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you, unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. So in other words, he replied, I am a con man. I have sneaked my way into an inheritance. I've cheated. And he says, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel. Israel means rule with God. God rules. God rules your circumstances. Because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place, I can't ever say this word, Peniel. which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. He knows he could have been taken out. This was not an evenly matched thing. It looked that way from appearance because he won. He won humility. He won reliance on God. He won his confidence back in the Lord. That's what he won. And God spared his life. He, God took the thing that made him, that the thing that everyone called him, con man, sneaky, you're a cheater. The reason your brother hates you so much he would take 400 men to kill you, I'm going to turn it into the thing that makes you great. I'm going to call you Israel because every decision you make from now on, I'm going to rule. And I'm going to do it my way. And every decision that you make is not going to be self-reliance. It's not going to be because you planned it out and you asked me to bless it. (laughs) In fact, it's going to be because I said and I rule. And everything that you do will be touched by my blessing because I rule it and I rule you and I rule your decisions. So the thing that the devil meant for harm, God took. And once again, the redemption happens. He changes us when we surrender our plans to him. He changes us when we're broken. He changes us when we're humbled and realize our plans are no good. 
he changes us. In those moments, he says, this is who you're going to be in the end, so let's just get this straight now. While you're broken, busted, disgusted, have no faith, when you feel like your plans were good and now they're shot, that's where I'm going to make you who you really are. And when you come out the other side, it'll be that moment in history that you look back on and say, that's when I became a mighty woman of God. That's when I went from hurt and never able to trust again to loving and ministering and able to give with an abundance in my heart. It was in that moment that God changed me from liar and cheater to ruling over every decision in my life. It was, it was then that God took me and made me a, a father of nations. It was in those moments that he changed me and made me who I am. There's one last part in Scripture. There's one last part in Scripture. Simon Peter. Simon Peter. In Matthew 16, let's see here. Matthew 16, chapter 16, 13 and 18. It says, When Jesus came to the region of uh, Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he said, then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You're not just a prophet. You're not just a good man that a lot of our Torah was written about. No, 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 no. You're the Messiah, your God with flesh on it, okay? Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now let's back up. Who is Peter? Peter is an extremist. He's an extreme personality. In fact, the thing that the devil uses with him is the fact that he is so shaken in his faith all the time. Okay? So, so he's the first one to deny that he even knows Jesus. The minute the heat gets turned up on his life, he says, I don't know him. That doesn't sound like a rock that you would build your church on, right? That doesn't sound like a very stable man. That doesn't sound like a man that's, that, that, that you'd want to be in a spiritual warfare with. He's, he's going to flee the minute it gets a little hot, right? So Peter makes this proclamation about who God is, and all of a sudden it becomes real in that group. It becomes real. I believe that because it wasn't human knowledge that the Father, the Holy Spirit descended upon Peter and gave him knowledge. And as he was speaking it, it all of a sudden became very clear who he was. I don't think Peter was smarter. I think that the Holy Spirit fell on Peter. And it says, because my Father revealed this to you. There will be moments in your life 
that you will sit down and you know that you know that you know it's a divine appointment from the Lord and you are nervous as all get out because you don't know what to say. All of a sudden, things will begin to flow out of you that you never even knew that you had in you. You don't even know what some of the words you said meant. I've literally sat down at lunches with people before thinking the conversation was about this over here. And it took a total right-hand turn that I was so unprepared for, so unprepared for. Man, I could have been prepared. If you'd have told me what the conversation was about to be like, I would have gotten in my word, (laughs) and I would have had some scripture references and the whole thing. But I'm telling you, God, he does this supernatural work in you where your words, when Randon prays, let my words be laced with the power of the Holy Ghost. That is what he means, that everything that flows out of him would be so Holy Spirit impacted that it changes lives and you don't even know what you did. It's, Peter didn't even know what he was saying until he was saying it. And all of a sudden he was going, that's good. That's good. That'll preach right there. He becomes the thing that he is most hates about himself. The thing that everybody thinks about Peter is the thing that God takes and says, I'm going to make you a gift to this earth. And upon the truth that you just said, I'm going to make you a rock. That truth is going to build my church and you are going to be like a rock for me. It's when we get a full vision when we get a full, fresh revelation of who Jesus Christ is in our life, is when he begins to change us. See, Abraham had to get a vision of God's grace. He had to feel God's grace and know it for the first time to be able to accept what God was going to do for him even after he messed everything up. It was Jacob who had to wrestle with the Lord all night to realize that he was nothing without him and with one touch could wipe him out, but didn't. It was in those moments a fresh revelation of who God is and how great he is, yet how loving he is, that he begins to change us more like him. So don't feel weakened. Don't feel weakened by your flaws. Do what Paul says. He, he, is, he feels, he boasts about his flaws because he knows that God's power is sufficient when he's the weakest. So when I was, when I was uh, probably a senior in high school, um, I decided that I thought, you know, I really think ministry, I really want to preach one day, and I really want to do that. And I said, there's only one problem, God. And that is that I really don't like people. (laughs) I really don't like people. I know that y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy, but I really did not like people. Like, I don't like your issues. You need to grow up is what I want. You know, like, I I just wasn't, I didn't want to be around people and deal with all their problems. I just wanted a microphone. It's a typical teenager there for you. And and I said, God, you're going to have to change my heart because I know that to be a pastor, you have to have a heart for people. And I, and I just don't love them. I just don't love them. And I was being very honest with God. It took years, and God worked a little on me, worked a little, chipped away and chipped away and chipped away. So one day I woke up, and I had taken a, like a, like a, a personality test or whatever. And all my like top 
my top two is they're all people. People, I just want to make everybody happy. Can't we all just get along? I just love you so much, man. It's like that's all I want to do is hang out with people and be all up in people's business. And I just love people. And it's amazing how quickly God changed my, literally, my personality reflects on paper completely different than when I was back here going, I hate people and I'd rather you just stick a microphone in my hand. And now I'm like, I just want to love people. Really, do I have to preach, Randon? I just want to hang out with everybody. Let's do small groups again. Let's do small groups again so we can all talk and hang out. You know, it's amazing what God will do. He will take, he will take the thing that you struggle with the most and make it the gift. And make it the gift. So don't, don't feel bad because you have these, these issues, these thorns. Because eventually, God will use it. God will use it in our weakness. Amen? Let's be hopeful. Let's be hopeful that God is not done with us. Let's be hopeful and let's speak life into people. When we see their flaws and they're blinking like big red flashes on the top of their head that says like, uh, you know, I struggle with and it's written across their forehead. Let's give them a little grace. Because we know that this is the area God's going to conquer in their life. You know, let's give them a little grace. We, of all the people on this earth, the church is the one that has to show the grace. And we typically are the ones that don't have any to give. And that has to change. And it's going to change. Because the Lord said that before he comes back, that his bride will be without spot or blemish. And I'm telling you, that's why I'm so proud of what Triumph represents because when I, when I worship and I look up and I see that everybody looks so different and it's all accepted, I think, man, we are one step closer in his grace. We are like so getting there. Baby steps or giant steps, we are getting there. Amen? Father, we just thank you for your word tonight and we ask that you would seal it in our heart, that you would change our names tonight, what the world has called us and what the world has proclaimed over our lives to harm us, to damage our future. Father, I ask that you would take it and you would rename us tonight, that you would take it and you would glorify your name through what you're going to do to change those flaws and weaknesses into the gift that you've given us to, to service the kingdom of God and to serve this, service this world and spread the gospel, Father. I just ask that you would begin to change us and make us look more like you. That you would do a DNA change in us tonight. That you would do a DNA change in us tonight. I thank you for it, Father God. Where we are weak, show your power so strong, Jesus. Show your power so strong. We thank you for it. Seal it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.